power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. manager on level five. I'm speaking to you from the command center on level eight. We are at this moment in control of the facility. Is that the best you got? How long we hang on, how far we get, how many of us make it out, all of that is now up to us. We have deactivated every floor in the facility. All the floors are cold. Wherever you are, right now, get up. Stop the work. Get out of your cells. Take charge and start climbing. They don't have enough guards, and they know it. But if we wait until they figure that out, it'll be too late. We will never have a better chance than this. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. We know they fried a hundred men on level two. We know that they are making up our sentences. As we go along, we know that no one outside here knows what's happening. And now we know that when they say we are being released, we are being transferred to some other prison to go and die. And that ends today. There is one way out. Right now, the building is ours. You need to run, climb, kill. You need to help each other. You see someone who's confused, someone who's lost. You get them moving and you keep them moving until we put this place behind us. There are 5,000 of us. If we can fight, Half as hard as we've been working, we will be home in no time. One way out! 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 It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Woo, it is time for some TIE Fighter Renegades. And this time I get the great pleasure of, of well, we are resuming the show as it was meant to be because I am not alone. I am being joined by none other than my brother, Rob Freebeard. Rob, welcome back to TIE Fighter Renegades, baby. Oh, it's good to be back. 
it's amazing you know we don't live that far apart from each other but yet we're still doing this via zoom yeah <laughs> but, i mean we see each other all the time and right like oh we forgot to do a show <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so but uh yeah we've got uh, some stuff to catch up on uh for sure and uh we have a, a main subject that we want to get into and then we will be uh, well, we'll see what other fun stuff we might bring up towards the end. So you want to make sure you listen to this one all the way through. Um, but, you know, now we've got Bad Batch Season 2 going on. We're not going to get into that here. Mandalorian Season 3 is coming. We're not going to get into that here, but you better believe Rob and I are going to be talking about that. We're, we're going to pick up the pace on TIE Fighter Renegades here, don't you worry. But something that we haven't talked about yet at all, and maybe on the Sovereign Technica Patreon, I, I've kind of brought it up at points, giving my little reviews here and there of how Andor was going, which, uh, you know, yourself, Rob, me, you know, and, and, and Ellen, we've been watching it together. We'd go hang out at your place and we'd just all crash on your couch and <laughs> <laughs> have Dexter jumping all over us and, you know, and, and just watching some Andor. Um I guess, you know, we really want to get into that. We want to do a review of that because we haven't done so to date. Um, and I do think that this is a show that continues to run under the radar, even though just about anybody that watches it is like, hey, you got to watch this, you know. Um, but I don't think it's getting the same, uh, 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 shall we say, like cultural permeation that The Mandalorian received, um, among other things. So I guess we'll open this up and, and it's going to be a very, um, we're just doing a high level full season overview, which is really the best way to look at it. I don't even know how much I like, I mean, tell me your thoughts on this, Rob. I don't know how much I even like really reviewing like a single episode, you know, stuff's just not written that way anymore. Like we're, yeah, we're it's just written for binging. Right. Exactly. Um, in fact, I, and I've said this with many other shows. I think there's a lot of shows where when you do binge them, you get a completely different experience and it actually yep. ends up being a far better show than when you watch it episode per episode, you know, like once a week. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I just mm -hmm. went through uh, a binge on rewatching The Expanse. Okay. I'm kind of doubling down on how this is like basically one of the greatest science fiction shows ever made. Damn, damn. Well, that's one that I watched like week by week and it was still great then. Uh, I can imagine a good binge watch of it. Yeah, that's that's got to be pretty awesome. Yeah, it's the first time I binged it because I like same here. I watched it mm -hmm. week by week. Have you done have you done? <laughs> I don't blame you for not. Have you done a rewatch of Obi-Wan by chance? No, I haven't. Um, I'm but you know what? I've, I've thought the same thing. I'm wondering how how does this going to play? And um, in, in, in a binge watch. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, I've certainly thought about that more with Obi-Wan than, say, Boba Fett, because I just don't think that show can be, you know, completely redeemed in any way. Yeah. <laughs> other, than a, other than a complete re-edit. I mean, like we said, like, the, you know, that show had terrible pacing issues. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like, man, I, you know, I wish and, and we'll certainly it'll be interesting to watch season three of Mandalorian um, and kind of put that in perspective because I feel like, so what ended up happening, of course, with book of Boba Fett, which everybody knows is that, you know, a couple episodes, like you go four episodes and then you get a couple episodes that are basically like the Mandalorian season 2.5. Right. right. 
you know, they're, they're, they almost have nothing to do with Boba Fett whatsoever. Um, and really, I feel like it should have been the reverse. Like all of this could have been a, you know, a B story in, running a, alongside the A story of the Mandalorian. Like, I think if it was presented as kind of being a side story within that, it could have been way more interesting um, than the inverse happening where the Mandalorian is kind of the B story of Boba Fett's A story. So, yeah, anyway. I mean, it, it might have even been written that way, but um, mm -hmm. I mean, you have to, to admit, I mean, that doesn't work as well in terms of marketing. True. Well said. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll still love the show just because it, it finally puts the uh, well, actually, it it doesn't put the nail in the coffin. It actually rips the nails out of the coffin of Boba Fett, you know, where, you know, when we were fans years ago. Um, you know, we would say, oh, you know, we'd tell people, no, no, Boba Fett lived. He got out of the Sarlacc, you right. know, I mean, we, we all read Heir to the Empire. We all read, you know, Twin Iron Engines of Destruction, whatever, or Twin Engines of Destruction. You know, we read all this stuff, but everybody's like, oh, no, 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 it didn't happen in live action. So it didn't fucking happen. And it's like, well, now guess what? Boba Fett did survive that. So, you know, deal with it, fuckers. At the very least, I'm glad for that. Um, but again, we're not really here to talk. <laughs> <laughs> a nice sidewind of, of where you know where we've been going how we got to here and how andor is really outside of obi-wan uh how andor is really you know kind of the the new live action hotness uh, i mean it's almost outside of everything else in star wars yeah yeah it really is um which might be well i mean let let's let's get into it let's get into reviewing this thing um so it is a show that takes place five years before the events of rogue one do i have that correct i yes. believe i do um and you know diego luna they didn't bring in any younger actors other than when you give flashbacks to um to when he's a kid but diego luna is back from his role uh you know in rogue one and i think he looks as far as look overall i mean you you wouldn't be able to really tell the difference between his performance in rogue one and him looking you know somewhat younger even just by a couple of years uh or five years in this case in in the show andor uh you know as the character of cassian andor you know but, all right before we deep dive let me just ask this overall because we brought up book of boba fett we brought up obi-wan um there were no flashbacks and correct me if I'm wrong. There were no flashbacks in star Wars until the last Jedi. Um, yes. Is it, would you say yeah. that's true? No, yeah. that, that, that's, that's definitively true because I remember there being um, comic con like panels where uh, Pablo Hidalgo says star Wars doesn't do flashbacks. Right. And obviously yes. that didn't, that didn't hold. No, it not only didn't hold like it's a standard now. Yeah. to do it's it's or at least it seems to be an absolute standard um even the the uh the rise of skywalker did a flashback right with luke and leia fighting um or or sparring i should say uh yeah flashbacks have become an have become a you know de facto standard in star wars how do you feel about that because we've gotten into everything uh andor book of boba fett um obi-wan it's it's everywhere I mean, I'm fairly indifferent. It does give the writers another tool in their toolbox to tell a mm -hmm. story, mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, you know, uh, I'm 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 not a, a, a minimalist in the terms of you know you know handicapping your your writers and sure. you know not giving them you know enough you know room to to actually tell a story. This is actually why I didn't have a problem with them basically. Uh, canceling the old eu at first right 
you know, at and, first, and I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm going to piss some people off saying that, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, that, that, that was my, you know, read on why they were doing those. Basically they were trying to untie the hands of, you know, future writers to tell sure. their stories and there's, and, and I'm sorry, but there, you know, as much as I love, you know, heir to the empire and some of those EU books, there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Um, I think admittedly, I think a, a bigger part was, and, and maybe you'd even agree that like Disney just didn't want to have to pay the writers. I mean, they wouldn't anyway, even if they did use their shit, we certainly know those stories. Like, Oh uh, yeah, sure. Rinsler that was probably the others. primary calculus there. Yeah. No, yeah. Doubt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I hear that and I can appreciate that as well. Uh, certainly now I, I look even more fondly upon the old EU. Um. Oh, yes, certainly. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I said the old EU has baggage. I mean, like the, the, the new Star Wars has more baggage just in the short time. Of, yeah, exactly. It's been around. So, exactly. I mean, yeah, if I knew they, they were just going to, you know, trade in some garbage for, you know, a metric ton of garbage, then I would have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess back to the um back to the idea of flashbacks. I mean, my feeling on it, you know, like I get it and it can be a tool, you know, just like you know, it can untie the hands, just like we were talking about with the you know, getting rid of the old EU. Um I I I gotta admit, I I love George Lucas's writing and directing chops and his ability to tell you the history of a character in such epic ways. And, and like, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of um, broads, not the word I'm looking for, but they're kind of vague, but I think there's real power in that. For example, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, like describing his history with Luke's father, you know, left things very vague, which also allowed for so much of the exploration of, you know, star Wars's history that we've gotten, not just since Disney took over, but really the past 20 some odd years, 25 years. Um, but also like even in episode three, when, you know, we're talking about Darth Plague or Plagueis the Wise, you know, and like, you didn't have to do a flashback sequence of, you know, Sheev stabbing his master or however that went down. Uh, he just told it in this like amazing scene in this operatic, you, you know, they're in this opera house essentially. And he's, he's kind of telling the story. And so while it's great to untie the hands, like I, I think we've we've sort of lo- I don't know just that that artsy ability to explain history and make you want to know more. That a flashback doesn't always make you want to know more. It kind of tells you how it is, and and I think we've lost that a little bit. But at the same time, I mean there can still be you know vagaries, which we'll probably yeah. talk about a little bit in Andor well, anyway. I mean I, I I do I do agree with what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, another another great example of that is actually what got me really excited about the Mandalorian in its first season mm-hmm. so, you know when the the Ugnat character is trying to teach uh Din Djarin how to ride those creatures and mm-hmm. he keeps you know falling off and, and having trouble doing it and and Din Djarin is like I can't do this and just like you know the 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 Ugnat guys like what are you talking about you people your people rode the great mythosaur Right. And, and you like, can't what handle this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and I, I, and I agree that that's exactly what I was thinking at the time when I heard this is, yeah, this is like a real return to form in terms of like the George Lucas style of storytelling. Right. Right. 
I mean, even the way Filoni would do, like when, when the explanation is made of the dark saber, you know, and how that ended up getting created, that was all done like in a very artsy style where it wasn't a flashback sequence. It was just like watching the flame and shadows in the background that took the right. shape of the varying, you know, of, of the Mandalorian Jedi and all that. And that was really cool. So, you know, I, I, part of Star Wars is, you know, Star Wars is, to, to me, its greatest strength is its cool factor. And part of that cool factor is the, the very uh, artistic ways, very clever ways that it can explain history um, without like actually showing it to you. You know, yeah. it's almost the Hitchcock move. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I really like that. But at the same time, I mean, some of these, you know, some of these flashback sequences can work out very well. Um, right. Well, but... you're also kind of like, you know, rubbing against the, the, the grind of, of, you know, just writing in Hollywood these days, which is, you know, sure. those seems to be, you know, show don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Good point. Good point. And, well, and unfortunately, you know, Dave Filoni can't write everything. I mean, he's just one guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We could only hope. <laughs> but, yeah, well, <laughs> let's get those. Let, let's let's spin up those uh, Sporides clone cylinders. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I have a theory about where uh, we, we won't get into it here, but I, I have a theory about where Omega is going to go. The character of Omega from Bad mm-hmm. Batch, mm-hmm. Um, because obviously we know Boba is Alpha, and you know, like they really wanted to make sure that Omega like survived and and. Oh, well, anyway, all right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the theory here, but I, but I have a theory. <laughs> all, all I'm going to say is a second clone wars. Uh, and, and, uh, what was it? Was it Epic tales? What was that? What was that toy line that, that Kenner was going to do in 86? Oh yeah. The yeah. one that where they, um, that, uh, dark horse started pulling some of the concepts from, for, uh, for dark empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and like Tarkin come did a really good video on that back in the day yeah yeah there's this toy line where tarkin was going to come back and they were going to start like the clone wars were going to start all over again um so anyway i i'm just i'm putting that out there <laughs> and, and and that that's all i'm doing uh, i'm not going to like deeper dive on that just now maybe when we do talk about bad batch i will um but anyway definitely check out that toy galaxy video if i think of it if i think of it i'll put it in the show notes so people can check out what yeah, that is about yeah it's the uh, the title is uh star wars lost sequel uh star wars the epic continues that's it the epic continue i knew, i thought i said epic tales it's the epic continues there you go bingo yeah so anyway i'm just going to leave that right there and we'll we'll keep on rolling but you mentioned writers how Filoni can't write everything well this was one of my first very uh, something that made me kind of kind of uh, trepidatious about Andor initially when it was announced, which was this was being written by largely by Tony Gilroy and Tony Gilroy. Now, the reason he was brought in is because he ended up being the guy that, according to Disney, not the fans, according to Disney, saved Rogue One, uh, the movie you know, uh, from apparently a messy state that it was in. Of course, I don't think we'll ever really know the truth about that. Um, Rob and I, in previous TIE Fighter Renegades episodes, have regularly and rightfully, and many other Star Wars podcasts have as well, complained about Tony Gilroy. Why? Because Tony Gilroy can come off as a bit of an asshole for saying 
that, uh, yeah, I'm not a Star Wars fan. That's why Disney brought me in, you know, and of course, Star Wars fans are like, wait, you're not a Star Wars fan. What the fuck are you doing writing our movies? You know, um, well, it's not even just that is that you mm-hmm. kind of boast about not being a Star Wars fan being his right. writing superpower. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if he, it wasn't, he it wasn't in. such an ass about it, then, you know, maybe I'd have less a problem with him being a Star Wars, not being a Star Wars fan. I could deal with the writer on right. Star Wars not being a fan. I could right. not deal with when when he proudly boasts about it being his his strength. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Of course, now he has uh, kind of changed his tune, and I'm sure it's partly for marketing to say that he has become a Star Wars fan since um, but I guess that does beg the question then. So what exactly is this guy's pedigree? You know, all right, he's not a Star Wars fan. That's, you know, his claim superpower. But why exactly was he brought in for these sorts of things? Well, to some degree, Rogue One is a heist movie. And heist movie is, I would argue, a subgenre of the of spy-fi, not sci-fi, but spy-fi, of, of spy fiction, espionage stories. And Tony Gilroy actually ends up being one of the finest writers and directors in the espionage space, best known for his writing of what I argue to be, or certainly the original trilogy of it to be, uh, not Star Wars, but The Bourne Identity. Um, I think he did tremendous work with those movies. Those are fantastic films. Of course, a lot of that has to do with Matt Damon, but certainly Tony Gilroy had to put pen to paper. And ultimately, I think Andor is spy-fi. You know, it is it is a it is an espionage show in a very real sense. And so, you know, I mean, I'll say this right at the beginning. I thought the show was phenomenal. I, I think it's one of the best pieces of Star Wars that's been done to date. Uh, I mean, I, in fact, when Rob and I and Ellen, and we were all watching it, there were many times where I said, I think the show could end up being better than the Mandalorian. Um, like, I, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, we got to give both I, of these shows time. Go ahead. What do you got? I will. You think it's better than Mandalorian? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I, I just, I mean, the over, the overall quality is just, I'm, it's better. I, yeah. It's unbelievable the scale of the show, and and well, and and just not just the scale of it, but like mm-hmm. the the message. Yes, the messaging on and this this really just goes back to the genesis of Star Wars, which was supposed to be, you know, uh, anti-war, anti you know uh, uh, military state. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was it was Star Wars was a response to the Vietnam War. Yes like explicitly yes according to george lucas yeah i mean in the entire prequel trilogy is an anti-war film i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) like like ultimately um yeah no i agree i agree so and i want i want to talk about that uh just to finish the point i mean why did the show work so well when you have a, a, a someone who wasn't a star wars fan doing all the writing for it because this is ultimately an espionage show uh, or at least that that's a big part of it. There's more to it. And I want to get to that component, which is going to speak to what you're talking about, Rob. Um, but it's an espionage show. So you bring in a guy who's written one of the best espionage trilogies ever. Okay. It's going to work, you know, because star Wars is like heavy metal where you can put in any instrument you want. And the metal song is still going to be fucking amazing, right? Star Wars can work that way. You bring in whatever instrument you want, whatever genre you want, and you can really mix it in. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Bad Batch is the A-team. Whoever thought that could come back? But so Tony Gilroy, I think, actually ends up being a brilliant choice for this, and it works. Now, the other thing that I feel like uh, Andor really is, 
I feel like the, they're really doing a Star Wars version of the Revolutionary War, of the American Revolutionary War, um, which kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Rob. I think where it is, uh, you know, it's certainly, you know, anti-authoritarian, anti-tyrannical, you know, which some would argue the Revolutionary War was about those things. You know, whether I agree with that or not, it's another story. But bottom line, uh, some people would argue for that. Um, yeah, I, I I like what you're saying, that it's really getting back to the very rooted messages of Star Wars overall. Um, but on a high level, you, I mean, I don't think you can, you know, that, that in some sense, that's that's a whole review in itself saying, no, this show is better than The Mandalorian, because most people consider The Mandalorian the best thing since Return of the Jedi. Um, I mean, do you want to expand on that more, Rob? I mean, it was. Yeah, well, <laughs> right, it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a new king in town, folks. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, bingo. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the Mandalorian is, and we're not dissing the Mandalorian at all. Mandalorian is great entertainment. Fantastic. The best bit of Star Wars we've had since Rogue One. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Um but yeah, now now you you basically you you come with a series that, really, like I said, it, it strikes at the root. Yeah, um, and it's just that much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the most powerful things, uh, and we talked about this very quickly. You know, you and I when we first started watching it, uh, how quotable this is. Like, there's genuine nuggets of beautiful wisdom in in this show that you don't realize you missed it until, or like that you miss that being a part of entertainment until you get it again. And it was just, I mean, there's so many fucking quotes. I was going to pull up a page of just all the quotes from the show because there's so many to pull from like, you know, rule number one, if you, <laughs> if you don't control it, don't carry it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's, and, and, and they know what they're doing and I know they know mm. what they're doing because, you know, they've gone and posted the various monologues from this show Mm -hmm. on their youtube channel yeah yeah exactly yeah it, i mean it it's the the stuff that um that uh luthien was, was saying you know was just <laughs> you just want to write it all down it, it's really amazing or even the little quotes even ones that andor would make you know where he says like power doesn't panic like that's not power uh yeah just just yeah. Wow. just amazing just <laughs> I mean, just these quick little snippet lines that are just so full of truth. Um, uh, unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I mean, as you can tell, Rob and I are both, you know, we, we thought the show was flat out amazing. Um, I mean, we couldn't wait, you know, to, to catch the next episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been a while since I felt that way, too. Right. You know, same here. Yeah. And this is one where, you know, we didn't binge it, uh, but it still worked. And the reason I think that it still worked was because the episodes were so fucking good. You couldn't help, but keep thinking about it. You know, like, like you were thinking about it all week, right? Even just thinking about, I mean, this is the important of the importance, in my opinion, of writing material that, that you want to quote, like in your life and like integrate because then you want to say those quotes and it keeps you thinking about the show. I mean, it's just, it, it's just one of the most brilliant ways, uh, you know, to really hook an audience in my opinion. Um, and also it makes the show valuable more than just, you know, simple entertainment. Not that there's always something wrong with that. Um, 
do we want to break down? Do we want to go over like some of the cast and, and talk about some of the storyline rep? Sure. Yeah. So let's do that. Uh, of course, like we said earlier, Diego Luna. Um, I mean, this guy's just frankly, dare I say exotic, uh, there, you know, like his, um, uh, what was not, not his accent. Okay. I'll guess I'll go with his accent. Like everything about him just makes you pay attention to the guy. How do you feel about that, Rob? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Andor was a cool character or not cool, but it was, was an attention grabbing character, even in rogue one, like in the beginning of the movie of rogue one, when he's getting the information from the guy, you know, and the guy screams, it's a planet killer, you know, and he's talking about the, the death star and he just shoots the guy before the stormtroopers come over, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, this guy's in the rebel Alliance. These are the good guys. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> No, these are terrorists and, and they're going to act like it at times. And, and he, he delivered he, on that. He, he almost, he almost stole Han Solo's intro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, shot like, no, first. He, he will shoot first. <laughs> it might not be Greedo, but it's close enough. Boom. So, <laughs> I mean, like I mean, that, Greedo had it coming. This guy, like, <laughs> no, he was a good guy, right? He's, yeah. like, he, he's giving you information of, and he like, he broke his arm and he like, he's giving you information about the death star and everything. It's like, and you're going to kill him. Uh, but I mean, it grabbed your attention and he did it so well, like his acting, you know, and, and I'd never seen Diego Luna in anything before. And he just instantly had you. Um, and I think that continues in, you know, kind of, kind of, it's all I can do is say his exoticness just, just continued in this, in the show. Um, and he has a great way of looking very weathered, even when he's not, you know, he's younger at this point and perhaps not as experienced as clearly he would be the much darker character in Rogue One. Uh, but you're really getting that feeling of origin. And then a lot of that comes down to Diego Luna's just his acting chops, in my opinion. Yeah, he looks good looking like shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and this was like, let's call it, this was a super dark show in itself. I mean, it opened up like the first episode, you're basically in a brothel. You're, you know, you're in a bar and like, they're just shy of, 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 uh, you know, of Cassian paying for yeah. sex. It was definitely more grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and same deal, like we said with, with Rogue One, where he's just blowing this guy away. I mean, he, he just shoots these two dudes, you know, <laughs> and, and like, he's never done it before there, or at least that's the suggestion. Uh, but yeah, very grounded, very dark show, very adult show. Uh, I think easily the most adult star Wars might've ever been at least in live action. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remember us having a conversation during, mm -hmm. after one of the episodes that we watched together um, saying, you know, like it would, it would almost completely take us out of it. If a Jedi or Darth Vader or any of like the, the main big characters showed up in the show, it would be a, it would be a huge distraction from what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah. Because the show is so visceral, so real that if you brought in anything too fantastical, yeah, it would throw you right off. Um, I agree with that. And yet they're <laughs> still able to pull off something like the eye, which was holy shit. Yeah. What beautiful effects. Um, yeah. Let's take a moment on that. I want to, I want to take just a quick break from, from the cast to talk about that. Um, the effects in this show, like the production level was just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't see a single flaw, which I cannot say for uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like that show felt very cheap 
at times. This show did not feel cheap in the slightest, uh, probably because it's related to Rogue One, which ultimately Rogue One is maybe not its most com- Disney's most commercial success with Star Wars. It's clearly its most fan and critical success, I would say. Yeah. Um, well, so they, they, go ahead. I, I can almost guarantee that this cost more than any of the other shows that they've put out thus far. Yeah, and I can say that with a high degree of confidence because this show was initially the first show in the pipeline. They were building sets before Mandalorian season one even came out. That's a good point. We, we forget how, cause, and there, I remember now there are times where we're recording TFR, you know, and in those episodes we're like, is Andor ever even going to come out? Like, right. because it was in production for so long. That's a great right. point. To and we up. didn't, and we never heard anything about, you know, production, issues or troubles or things holding it up mm-hmm. no they were just taking their time and putting a whole lot of effort into this and it shows yeah yeah well i mean and remember how early they said yeah it's gonna have a season two like <laughs> like the show hadn't even come out in fact it was even like a year or a year and a half before it would even come out and they're already saying oh yeah this is getting a season two i mean i think the yeah well they've just- they've got a, a timeline plan I mean, there's only going to be two seasons from what i understand because mm-hmm. the end of season two is supposed to take up to uh, right up to the moment that rogue run begins yeah okay right right um which that's a shame honestly i would have loved five seasons of this because it is five years that they could have traveled i think that would have been great but i get it you know um anyway uh so uh, yeah you but know, i mean the, the, the flame that burns twice as bright burns half as long <laughs> somebody had to quote blade runner who's coming <laughs> so <laughs> anyway <laughs> right on uh, but I mean, so, so effects wise though, I mean, would you agree with me? I mean, I, I didn't see a single flaw. I thought this oh, was a stunning yeah. show. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, and, and that's here again, they, they, they did all this before even all of the technology with, you know, things like the volume had even matured, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was kind of all being done with, with, um, the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett. So they were, they were doing this old school. Yeah. 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 And I think you did, you do get a good whiff of a lot of the practical effects within it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right on. So, all right. I well, mean, just the, uh, like, you know, uh, Luthien shop. I mean, that is just a, a smorgasbord of, you know, uh, the prop department having a field day. Oh yeah. 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 I could picture like the story group going in there. It's like, okay, here's this Gungan shield, put that over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much cool shit in there. So much history um, that, you know, that's one thing, like if you're, you know, Star Wars sweaty, like you can have so much fun just looking in that shop. You know, I almost wish we were like back in the nineties and you could do the quick time VR websites where you could look around, mm, you know, like yeah. the entire thing. And they just put up a quick time VR of, uh, you know, of Luthien shop and, and you could just pick apart everything that's in there. Cause man, yeah. So much history. Um, yeah. Amazing. So, well, let, let, let's continue on with the cast list a bit here. Uh, Kyle Solier, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but this is the guy that played Cyril, who was <laughs> used to great comedic effect uh, as, well, right, he he was the deputy inspector for the, um, for the corporate authority, I believe. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, the corporate sector. Right, for the corporate sector authority, which is a nice callback from, uh, well, they, they brought that, that faction, quote unquote faction, back in the Shadows of the Sith 
uh, book, but also these are, this is a callback to like the old Brian Daly Han Solo trilogy books. Right. I was going to say there was, you know, Han Solo in the corporate sector. There was even a, a, a West End Games uh, source book specifically on that, you know, right. faction. Yeah. So that was a nice touch. And it really, this is something where, you know, like you mentioned earlier, where if you brought in something, if you like, if a Jedi showed up, you know, it would totally rip you out of it. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that was amazing with Rogue One, you know, as, as grounded as I felt that was like when Darth Vader starts showing up or when the lightsaber ignites, really, you know, everything just goes up to 13. Now you, you kind of had to bring in Darth Vader at that point because you needed that bigger, badder guy than everybody else, even Tarkin. Um, in this one, it's kind of that they they're they're it's a slow build and it's a slow build that I think plays very well into Rogue One eventually to the Vader scene. Um, because there's no stormtroopers, like you're not getting any stormtroopers, you know. And then suddenly when stormtroopers do show up, everything goes up to 12, you know, like everything gets taken way more seriously. Uh, so I love the fact that they brought in what are effectively police and nobody likes them, you know, that being the corporate <laughs> sector authority. Uh, and <laughs> like, that's, a, this is another amazing thing about this show. If you're a fan of the empire, you can hate the corporate sector authority. If you're a fan of the rebellion, you can hate the corporate sector authority. This brought fans together <laughs> you know, <laughs> on, on both sides <laughs> because, because we, we all hate the same people. <laughs> so, I mean, Go ahead. I mean, here again, the, the messaging in the show is just great. I mean, like all mm -hmm. cops are indeed bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Even the stormtroopers think so. That's <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah, but this guy, uh, uh, Kyle Solier, I mean, he was dynamite, you know, annoying as fuck. You couldn't stand him for a second. Uh, and, and just hilarious uh in 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 all the in all the the demeaning and right ways, I guess, right. for a character. And, and and they they show us how he got to be that way. Yeah, yeah, he's basically got like an old Jewish mom, and let me tell you, that's not fun. <laughs> so, or an old Italian mom. Pick your pick yeah, your, pick I, your I culture. Just, I'm just straight up narcissist. I mean, yeah. you know, so, where's your tie? That's not you. Don't have that on, right? What do you do? You know, like all that stuff. So, uh, but I mean, again, the actress was just phenomenal doing that. Um, yeah, he he was a really like steal the show character because like. He was just so genuine and over, he, he was so over the top and so seriously comedic, but he, he delivered it so sincerely that you completely bought it and it didn't come off like, yeah, it was a joke, but it didn't come off as, um, as corny. I didn't think it came off again as sincerity. And that's what you really need to make a character like that work. And yeah, uh, he's a true believer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Amazing. Um, so let, let's uh, let's carry on with, with some of the some of the the, the cast. Um, Adria Jorna as Bix Kayleen. Uh, so this was kind of a love interest for um, for Cassian. I think that's fair to say uh, a character that that worked. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more out of her in season two. Um, certainly allowed for like she did phenom this is a character who went through a lot of torture through machines that we would later know better being attempted to be used on on princess leia in a new hope uh or no 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 it wasn't even that it wasn't even the droid it was the the sound machine right that the empire developed yeah mm -hmm. yeah um yeah man wow that was that was kind of terrifying like and just how 
just how heartless, you know, like the empire was in the, the implementation of that. Yeah. Um, I think that is one of the, the strengths of the show too, is just showing the casual brutality of the empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I mean, I want to keep going down this list a little bit, but I, I can't think of a single weak actor involved in the whole thing. Like everybody was top of their game. Yep. Everybody was a fantastic choice. Uh, but let's move on to Fiona Shaw is Marva Andor. Uh, this oh. is a character. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you cry. I mean, she, she was something else, uh, you know, playing the, the, you know, guardian essentially of an or adoptive mother, as it were of Cassian Andor. Um, picking him up from his, you know, from, from that planet, which by the way, that was something we never really got an answer as to what the hell was going on with that ship that Marva Andor and her partner were, you know, during the, during the clone wars were trying to salvage because it was a Republic ship, right? They never explained what the hell was going on there. Did yeah, they? that that was weird. Like, you know, they, they talked about it. It was insane as a Republic ship, but I could have sworn I saw, uh, CIS logos on those guys' uniforms. Right, right. Yeah, very mysterious what was going on there and where Andor is from. I'm sure that's going to get some kind of payoff somewhere. And I don't mind even if it's in a novel or a comic book. In fact, I'm amazed there hasn't been any novels or comic books uh, coming out or even announced around Andor. I mean, we've had Andor comics, um, like the origin of his relationship with K2SO, but uh, I'm really amazed there isn't more material around this. Regardless, yeah, that is a bit of a mystery, but yeah, I, I almost wonder if they're going to end up retconning that. Yeah, I'm a little worried they're going to do that because they've already they've already done that shit multiple times now. Bad yeah, batch, yeah, other right, things, right. yeah, uh, which pisses me off. But that's a separate subject. <laughs> so, um, but Marva Andor, like, let, let, let's talk about her for for a minute. Um, yeah, I, I mean, she like again, it's that sincerity. You know, because I don't feel like you get a whole ton of time with the character. You get a lot, but you don't get a whole ton of time. But like, this is just that woman who remembers how things were. And, you know, just, you know, as an older woman can't, you know, she's using a cane and everything. And she just stands up, you know, to the empires and stands up to tyranny. And it, it's, it's so moving, so powerful. Uh, what did you think of this character, Rob? Just. I mean, honestly, I, I think this was like the the acting performance that stood out the most. Yes. In the entire show. Yes. Um, she. <sighs> I, I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm almost at a loss for words. Yeah. And yeah. when you see, you know, the, the last episode, you'll understand why. Yeah. Yeah, no, ag- agreed. I mean, I get literal goosebumps, like yeah. even now, just thinking yeah. about like her performance. Yeah. And was... what a, I mean, just, just a, a totally, you know, like when you look at her, her, her acting career, this is kind of like a, a huge departure from the kind mm-hmm. of roles you're, you're used to seeing her. I mean, she was in the Harry Potter series. She was, you know, one of uh, uh, Harry Potter's relatives one of the dursleys right just, just an awful woman mm-hmm. you know uh and this is like it's just like complete 180 from yeah. kind of the stuff she's done before and just i mean like I, I can't imagine that she wasn't drawing from something deep within her to pull off a performance like that yeah yeah no totally um 
I agree with and, all that. And 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 I know and I know from from reading up on her that you know she's she's a lesbian, so maybe mm-hmm. that has something to do with it. Sure, know? she understands oppression. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, something you know, something that was kind of a uh, a bit of an urban myth, I guess you could say, or a rumor, um, about the scene where she is, you know, where where she's giving the great speech. Okay. Uh, in that last episode. Um, and there's a point where she says, fight the empire. Uh, there was an urban myth that she actually said, fuck the empire. And they ADR'd, Disney ordered an ADR of her saying, fight the empire. Um, now yeah. it's it's been confirmed by Tony Gilroy himself that, oh yes, she said, fuck the empire. He said, he proposed that to Disney to have her say that. Disney said no, and he did it anyway. Yeah, which I love that. Yeah, <laughs> now they 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 did that to Rediger Howard too in Blade Runner. Ah, right. Uh, what was the line? Uh, when he's uh, I want more life, fucker. When he's right. about to kill Eldon Tyrell. Right. And uh, what they had ended up dubbing it out is saying, "I want more life, father." Father. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Now, when you watch the scene. You can actually, and maybe, you know, it could be just the power of suggestion, but I do believe you can see her, you know, you can see Fiona Shaw saying, uh, fuck the empire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's I mean, not saying it, fight. <laughs> that's what I hear in my head anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, I thought that was really cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, just more of the power of that character. So, uh, but moving on, um, and here's, here's what I think was the other stealer of the show, as it were. Uh, that being Stellan Skarsgård as Luthien Rail, um, certainly a character we don't, we still really don't know a whole lot about. Uh, but frankly, gave so many powerful performances. Was one of the main drivers of the show. Certainly was empowering even Cassian Andor and his actions within the show. Um, in many ways, the show was very much about him. There's one other character that it was about that we'll get to. Uh, you know, we'll just call her MM for now. And but but. Stellan Skarsgård, I mean, Luthien Rail, that character was so, was so amazing. I mean, I, I, I don't want to necessarily say cool, but I want to say cool at the same time. And fucking A, man, like his, his little starship, when that thing, when that thing draws lightsabers, I didn't say Luthien Rail drew lightsabers. <laughs> <laughs> I said when his starship drew lightsabers and started hacking, uh, you know, like viewings in half, man, that was insane. <laughs> what the fuck was that? uh just out of nowhere like, you just go whoa you know? <laughs> like, and that was something was, else with the show the surprises were amazing yeah think? i mean not just that i mean but the um the the flechette you know weapons he had on that yes which is like i don't think we've really seen anything like you know physics-based weapons in star wars before and right. i almost wonder if like you know they they you know, saw the expanse and said, you know, like we, we need to have more realism. And then here again, this is just another little kind of tiny thing grounding this series in, in reality. Yeah. Because this was something that, you know, like in world war two was done, you know, to against radar, you know, to like, I mean, this, yeah, it was more grounding in reality. I agree. They're like, <laughs> even though, you know, lightsabers are, are, cancer causing devices automatically <laughs> just with powering them as soon as you light that baby up woo, you know tumor city but uh other than that That's yes the science Darth was, Vader was doing luke skywalker a favor yeah. off that cancer yeah it's like no you don't understand you need a mechanical hand okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that hand isn't going to work in like five years <laughs> 
Yeah, bingo. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, but but I thought Luthien Rail was was an incredibly powerful character. Again, had some of the best lines, not just in Star Wars history. I would argue in entertainment history, some real truths. Like, I mean, that again, that rib on smartphones. If you don't control it, don't carry it. Was it was just pure dynamite. Um, but I mean, that's only one of the things that he said out of so many. Uh, what did you think of the character, Rob? Yeah, he's great. I mean, um, and here's a character who, you know, they they did cast playing to strengths that were already evident. I mean, this guy's had sure. such an awesome career. Um, yeah. You know, I, I one of the things that like I, I was not the biggest fan of the, the recent adaptation of Dune. But casting him as the Baron was, you know, a, a masterclass choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was fantastic in that. I mean, you, you could just feel the oil Baron even, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was much closer to to the character that was portrayed in the books, whereas, you know, the the David's Lynch movie is I love it to death. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's still my favorite Dune adaptation to date but it kind of was the the a caricature of the baron from the yeah book. yeah no agreed agreed um yeah no it's stellan skarsgård just completely delivered on this uh unbelievable and i can't wait this is one of the main things i want out of season two is to just know more about this character certainly a lot of speculation around him is he a jedi was he like a past sith lord even some people have said i mean i don't know whatever i, 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 don't, that, but... I, I don't think that's that that's going to be the case just here again because bringing those elements into this story will will pull you out of it yep yep I, I agree i, I agree I, if anything um you know my my prediction is is that you know uh this is a character that's probably going to come to a very bad end yeah yeah and he seems to know it even yeah yet. yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah he's 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 accepted that right and he's doing it anyway which makes the character even that more impressive yeah yeah and i mean clearly this guy is one of the initial instigators of the rebellion yet we've never known who he was uh it's the absolute power of the writing and the actor to make us buy it you know like like, okay yeah like no i accept that he is he's one of the progenitors sure yeah yeah and his inner and like one of the things that really shines too is his interactions with mon mothma Whereas, yeah. like, you know, uh, he, he knows he's, he's treading on the knife's edge and right. Mon Mothba is trying to, you know, hold to some sort of, you know, unrealistic, you know, moral standard. Yeah. She has ethics. Right. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about Mon Mothma. Let's go ahead and get right into that. Uh, because this is the other character that I think stole the show. Um, and that, I also think gave it a lot of its validity as well as for longtime Star Wars fans, I think really, really plants it, even though it doesn't, you know, we're not getting usually not getting lightsabers, not getting any of that, you know, Star Wars wackiness uh, makes you want to watch. Why? Because for the first time, really outside of say Rogue One, we get more of the antithesis of the emperor right because that's what mon mothma was she was the opposite you know she she was the right the emperor's the the leader of the empire mon mothma is the leader of the rebellion you know so she she is the antithesis to the emperor um and it was fantastic of course that they brought back genevieve o'reilly once again um you know who was originally snubbed when playing a very young mon mothma in episode three but all of those scenes were deleted 
Then she got brought back to play her in Rogue One, which is absolutely inspired. And now she even gets to come back and play her once again in the Rogue One prequel. Um, yeah, getting to explore this character, getting to know more about this character uh, was, was an absolute winner. Uh, and knowing the hard choices she had to make, some of them very dark, mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, it, glued to the TV, you know, yeah. because again, we get Mon Mothman Return of the Jedi, right? But that means that since 1983, you know, almost 30 years, ooh, talk. <laughs> like, for me, it wasn't even just the, uh, the political elements, but um, getting to see the behind the scenes, you know, family dynamic of you know a politician in you know the republic slash empire i think was very important um i think i think here again that was another thing that really grounded things in reality because i mean just let, let's just face it i mean the the politicians you know in our own reality um pretty sure you can imagine even the quote good ones have probably pretty messed up you know family lives yeah, totally. And she certainly had her, had her dealings with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, I was just blown away because again, this is a character that we knew almost nothing about for, you know, almost 40 years. And now we're finally getting all that and we just got it in spades. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, we have to see more of her in Clone Wars and Rebels as well, which was nice. Um, but this was finally, I think, the real exploration that this character like okay who's in charge of the rebel alliance now you really know and now you know why in right. my opinion i mean she was a rather significant character in the eu but they still kind of like held her up as this kind of paragon who was you know beyond reproach whereas now like i said we have a more grounded vision of the the human being that she is yeah no, no totally um because I also feel like, yeah, she would get explored in the old EU, but then even she would get upstaged by Leia and even by winter, you know, like the mm, character of yeah. winter would, would really upstage her as well. Um, so this is, I feel like this is the first real time that we really got to explore this character and more of the, uh, what's the name of her homeworld? Chadra or not, not Chadra Ch fans. Chandrilla. Chandrilla. Like this is the first time I think we've got to explore more of that culture as well. Right. Because otherwise, I, I mean, in the old EU, it was basically Alderaan light, you know, that that's yeah. the way it always felt to me. Right. Yeah. And so, so to get more of that, that just worked for me in a lot of ways. Um, so th this is, you know, th like that, that, that's a winning recipe in this as well. Um, another winning recipe was uh, another female character, I think in this show. Um, and something else we got to explore a lot more that I don't feel like, at least in Disney Star Wars, and certainly not in live action that we didn't get to do so as much, was uh, Denise Goh's uh, performance as uh, Dedra Miro in, you know, for the Imperial, Imperial Security mm -hmm. Bureau. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yeah. You know, we always heard about the ISB. You kind of got to meet characters in the ISB, but you never really got to see the ISB. And man, did you get to see it in this show a lot. Uh, you got a lot of Imperial stuff in this and I, I couldn't get enough of that. And she was great. Uh, and her relationship with, um, with Cyril there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm I mean, so looking forward to season two. 
I know. <laughs> you know that that's a part of the show. I mean, we you, even, go like, ahead. I just like you, you see the, the relationship that he has with his mother, his his mommy issues. You don't think that's <laughs> going to come into play when he starts having a relationship with this woman? When he oh starts my falling god! In love. Yeah. Oh my god! This is going to be juicy. Yeah. <laughs> No, she, she she was great. I mean, and that this is the part we didn't even get into with the show. This show is genuinely funny as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you get everything in this, you, you know, which is something that I feel like the Mandalorian didn't always pull off. Maybe it'd be Grogu, you know, that would do it. But like this show was downright funny at times. And, you know, her her and Cyril like really made a lot of that happen often enough. Um, but I, I really like that. The exploration of how the ISB works. I thought that was dynamite. Um, just seeing the the dog eat dog world of you know moving up the imperial ladder, which we always kind of expected, and and certainly got plenty of explicit or implicit uh, you know hints to. Um, yeah, this is one of those things where I can point to, and I, I I will take Tony Gilroy at his word in saying that he's become a Star Wars fan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I don't know how you could have portrayed the ISB in this way without having, you know, at least perused over the, uh, uh, the Imperial handbook. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely because this is not the CIA. Like, like it's really not, you know, Tony Gilroy understands the CIA, but this was not written like the CIA. Uh, and like, I can't really think of any intelligence agency that would operate this way because honestly it would fail, which is more or less what's happening here. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that worked. Um, I mean, even just getting to see like the holograms of the Imperial symbol spinning around was awesome. In my opinion, you know, I just loved getting to see the world more, um, in that sense. So, uh, yeah, great, great job there. She, she was able to to pull off some amazing comedy, but at the same time, be serious as a heart attack, particularly like with torture scenes and everything. Um, I, I thought she was, she was top-notch great choice. And just, and just her doggedness of, you yes. know, kind of pulling these threads, to you know suss out right this this burgeoning rebellion who none of her colleagues take seriously you know yeah you know i think there's a great quote from luthien about you know how arrogant the empire and and fat and satisfied they are and Mm -hmm. how comfortable Mm -hmm. they are and you know how that's going to change yeah what they're doing yeah and and yeah she is like she is a sign of things to come yeah yeah no totally um I mean, we could go down, like, there's so many great actors in this. There are so many great characters in this. Um, you know, even the younger people involved in it, uh, I, I thought were were great. Um, of course, you know, Faye uh, Marseille playing uh, Velsartha, you know, of course, related to, to Mon Mothma. She was, she was dynamite, clearly one of the early rebel leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we'll ever see more of her, but anyway, um, all of that just worked. And I'm glad we went down the cast list because that allowed us to explore the storyline you know, of, of what happened in the show and what, what was really working in it. Well, that's um, because it's a very character driven show. Yeah. Which is another reason that it wins. Right. You know, it's not all about story. Like there's character development and these characters matter. And yeah, as much as, we love, as much as we love the lore, right. I mean, the characters are what we're here for. Yeah, no, ultimately. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's what always made Star Trek great, you know, or what right. used to make Star Trek great. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Less said about that, the better, but Star Wars taking notes. Great. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this to me, this show is just an automatic 10 out of 10, like, like everything about it, you know, and we've broke down like the special effects. There's no flaws. 
the music. We didn't talk much about the music. Let's talk about the music for just a minute. Uh, this is very different for a Star Wars show or for a Star Wars property of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of blown away by that, but it but it worked. It was very atmospheric, and mm-hmm. I'm really just amazed at how well that worked. What did you think about the music overall? Um, I, I agree with you, but in in mm-hmm. a way like um, it, it it's it's living up to my expectations, and I I've I've been expecting this kind of stuff because we got kind of a hint of of this kind of atmospheric music in the last season of the clone wars specifically mm-hmm. with the the you know the whole order 66 you know uh uh storyline yeah uh, that's that's true we get it in bad batch as well you're right yeah yeah so i mean this is this is now becoming a thing within star wars and i'm here for it i love it mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know it, it it's and I think the other thing too is, is that it works for it was it had some very earthy tones to it. Yeah, it kind of you know lends itself to the whole like because what's really on display in the show is you know the how gritty the universe is, and I know that's always been with Star Wars since the beginning, but now it's mm-hmm. like you know now 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 we're as as Phil K. Dick put it, you know we're living in the kipple. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I got to give credit to you know, this was done by uh, Nicholas Bertel, but I think Kevin Kiner is the one who really paved the way for this kind of music to be, or for, for new styles to be brought into Star Wars. Yep. And I think it really happened with, I mean, Kevin Kiner did 90% of the work for Clone Wars, but he had themes he really had to stick with, with that. Other than like in, in the Clone Wars movie, you know, he, he was able to bring in some electric guitar which was cool, but it was really in star Wars rebels where I think Disney yep. probably Filoni saying, okay, Kevin, go ahead and do your thing. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. Like when, when they did the episode about, was it going to like the Lestat homeworld uh, or, or they were going through that, trying to find a new Lestat homeworld yeah, or whatever. Lestat. Lestat. Sorry. Lestat is a vampire. That's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Very well played by Tom Cruise at one point, but anyway, uh, and, and other actors, but okay. Right. So yeah, thank you. Um, purple Wookiees. So <laughs> let's well, just make it's it funny simple. because I mean, like the, the, the original, um, concept art, they very much looked like, like Chewbacca was going to look like what they oh, yeah. looked like. Yeah. They, they, they pulled that right out of Ralph McQuarrie's work. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so in very real sense, they are purple Wookiees, but anyway, <laughs> uh, which, which he unfortunately stole from uh, uh, John Schoenhar, the, the uh, guy who's famous for the Dune cover art. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you, you can see it even in the, when you look at those posters. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, anyway, so yeah, like that episode in particular in rebels, he did something that sounded so alien to star Wars and, I remember everybody, myself included, talking about it like, wow, what was that? I want that music. Like, that was so wild. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Kiner, like Disney finally had the confidence in him to allow him to expand. And he did so. And I think that's what's given the permission to the likes of Nicholas Patel and others, uh, you know, to go this route. And I'm really glad right. for it. I'm with you on that completely. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, I love John Williams, but I'm, sure. uh, uh, we're not going to have him for, you know, very much longer, unfortunately you know? Um, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so th- 
ha- having having stars be able to break out of you know the John Williams mold mm-hmm. uh, is is not only a benefit in terms of the 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 art becoming less derivative, but also in in terms of you know like it, it allows for more talent to to come into the franchise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree, and I think when somebody tries to like really mimic, but be more like it's fine. Like Kevin Kiner will mimic John Williams and bring in his themes when he needs to, right? Um, but I think the failing is when you try to sound like John Williams but do original. I, I don't think that works. You just got to bring in original music and just don't mm-hmm. try to be John Williams. You know, uh, like I applauded a lot of what Michael Giacchino did in Rogue One, um, as to where the music that was done in solo was clearly trying to mimic John Williams, partly because John Williams did the theme for that movie, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that soundtrack's just one of the worst pieces of, you know, piles of shit I've ever heard. Uh, like it, it's, it, it's bad anyway. Yeah. yeah so I mean, it's, me- it's mediocre, which is probably yeah, it's like mediocre. the worst, worst thing you could do in star Wars is be mediocre. Right. I'd rather you be bad. You know, like, right. that's okay. Like go ahead and be Mako or something or write the life day song. And I can, yeah. I can live yeah. with how horrible that is. Exactly. That's that, yeah. That's, that's kind of exactly what I was trying to say is it's yeah. not, and not so much that it was, it was bad is that it wasn't even worthy of being bad. It was just, it was mediocre. Yeah. Mediocre is always the worst. I agree. Um, so yeah, the music was great on this. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, I just, I, I have to give it a 10 out of 10, the action, everything all of it just worked. Uh, I really have no complaints. I mean, and we didn't even really get into like the whole prison break uh, storyline was so moving. Um, yeah. You know, this, like, this is like, okay. You know, book of Boba Fett season two, take notes. Yep. This is how you do multiple arcs. Right. And a single show. Right. With only a few episodes of that. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't have many with this. What was there 12 episodes maybe with Something this? Yeah, like I think that, it was yeah. 12. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, totally. And, and by the way, just, just call out to Andy circus. I thought he was, he was incredible. In this. Oh man, there's one <laughs> way out. Yeah. I can't swim. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, and yeah, there's, I, so I mean, much. I, I, I hope they bring him back in some way. I really do. I, I, yeah. I know he probably died, but still, I just, oh, yep. I'm with you. And, 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 and I'll be first to admit, you know, like, uh, you know, post Lord of the Rings, I have not been like the biggest Andy Serkis fan, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, the, the character he played in, in the MCU is just fucking dreadfully awful. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Um, I mean, all I heard was MCU dreadfully awful. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even matter what other words were in there. You just you're shit on. and shit out. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, all right. So one other thing to bring up, uh, Forrest Whitaker returning as Saw Gerrera. Um, what I loved something that this show did with bringing Saw Gerrera back. Uh, yeah. Saw Gerrera goes nuts by the time of Rogue One. But you actually find out, no, he's pretty justified in being very skeptical of anything the Rebellion does because Luthien screwed over, you know, that one group. And Saw's like, you know, he's like, Saw, you can go try and save him, but you're not going to win. You're going to lose. And I don't know, it just gave more. This gave us an opportunity to spend more time with Saw Gerrera, even better than Rebels did, in my opinion. Um and to understand like how Sagarera gets to the point that he does when we see him in Rogue One. How did you feel about that little bit of storyline? 
yeah, um, I think it was good. Like, and, and here again, this is this is another actor, unfortunately, that I'm not the biggest fan of. Mm. But I have to say that you know his his performances, his character was was fantastic. I mean, I'm actually really kind of glad that he goes a little nuts because. Uh, and and every other Forrest Whitaker you know movie I've seen is he's basically Forrest Whitaker playing Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, now that you mentioned that, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Well, like, what's the other? What's what's a movie that I actually think Forrest Whitaker does a great job? Oh, maybe Bloodsport, <laughs> where he's like this minor character. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hear you. That, that that's a fair point. Um, but no, he he was great in this. Really was. You're right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, give, give me the overall feeling of, of the show for you, Rob. I mean, are you saying 10 out of 10? Obviously, you're saying it's better than Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, I know it's, it's it's a different beast than, you know, the original trilogy, but yeah. it's, it's up there. Oh, boy. It's yeah. up there. Um, so, so fucking subversive, too. God damn. I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 literally shocked that Disney was willing to put this out there in the world. Yeah, I agree. Um I I, I completely agree. And yeah, because like my my more conspiratorial mind that isn't often right, I just listen to it here and there, uh you know, is blown away that this exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this is truly rebellious content, not just because it's about the rebellion. Like there, there's so much that's rebellious about this. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, but Tony Gilroy can do that. Like I think the born identity, I told people, okay, like how do you get privacy in this world? I've told them just go watch the born identity, the original trilogy, and that's going to show you how far you've got to go. And it, and yeah. it's not lying. You know, like, like that, that's a model you could genuinely follow. And you walk away from this show as well, where it's like, wow, this, no, this show's got a fucking point. Um, right. And that's, that's the yeah. thing I appreciated about more, even more so than the born identity is, is just basically the, the, the ethics of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, you've, I mean, <sighs> you, you've got to, sometimes you got to do some really ugly things if you, if you want freedom. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I just imagined, you know, that the, you know, the last episode that, you know, the Marva monologue, like, you know, if, if somebody today, you know, went up on Capitol Hill and did that kind of thing, like, that's the kind of shit that really does start revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, you know, like very much evoking um, uh, Martin Luther King. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and again, like had this had, it was so anti-authoritarian and such, it had such a very clear anti-police message. That's the part that blows me away. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, it was absolute. I mean, even to the point of almost spray painting on the wall saying, fuck the police. I could not yeah, believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even, well, just, just anti, like you said, just very anti-authority anti-state too. Cause I mean, you know, yeah. at, the, at the end they're fighting the empire. Yeah. 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 You know, the police are gone. They've brought in the military. Right. Right. And then it goes to that and, level. And, 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 and I, you know, the, every, everybody in that, you know, she just brought everybody into reality mm-hmm. that, you know, they're living in the shit now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, dystopia was, you know, next door last week, this week it's here. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it happened so fast. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, I will say like, there's a, I know going into season two, obviously we're both super excited for that. Um, certainly more so than, than even like Mandalorian. I mean, I'm excited for Mandalorian season three, but like, I'm way more jazzed for, for yeah, Andor season yeah, two. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> because there's some unresolved storylines. I still think that the, the droid who is very cute and very sad at times, uh, that, that droid, something happened with that droid. I you know, that's, know. that's interesting that you bring that mm-hmm. up too, because I wanted to, to, to get your opinion. You, you've had some very, um, shall we say specific opinions about droids in yeah. the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I'm wondering, has that, you know, informed your opinions more or changed them? How's that really, how's that character of that droid um, affected your opinions about droids in the Star Wars universe now? Yeah, I don't, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know how much I felt that that droid like plays into the kind of the larger storyline, but like certainly it fits in or, and, and the storyline is that, that, I don't know, Disney is like hyper pro AI. Uh, like, like that, that, that that's, that's, or they're, they're pro, like they have, they have completely inverted George Lucas's treatment of droids, you know, as to where George Lucas saw them as like almost throwaway other than C3PO and R2D2. Um, like now they're like venerated characters. And, and I, and I think that this, I mean, this droid, this droid really could pull at your emotions. And that does add into, I guess, overall, my theory about how like Disney has some kind of running theme of praising machine life. Um, yeah, see, I've always had a different take on you on this, and I know we've talked sure. about it before. And I don't know if the the they're necessarily thinking along the lines that I'm thinking, um, but you could certainly interpret it this way as is that Disney is is, or at least the writers on these these shows and these movies are not so much pro AI but pro sentience. Mm of of machine life of just i mean in any form that sentience takes mm-hmm, place mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know that that if 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 it you know if it sounds and thinks and it it plays on your emotions like something that's sentient and it has an internal emotional world mm-hmm. then then it is yeah yeah i i think they're they're certainly looking at that um yeah, I, I think they have a point with this, you know, and 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 that old theory of mine that like they're setting up a droid rebellion. I mean, that that's like explicitly, I think, going to happen now. Like when you read the comic books with what's happening in Hidden Empire, mm-hmm. like there, there's a character that they brought in that actually did lead a droid revolt and it's coming back. Um, so like that's happening, you know, like that that's something I knew that that was on the way. Yeah, that uh, doesn't surprise me. In fact, I mean, I'm yeah, undoubtedly that they're they're going to basically play it the same way they did with you know the the harry potter elves oh yeah yeah yeah. okay right yeah so yeah I, I i don't know um i mean i love getting out the message of the dignity of all species uh i don't know that droids are the best harbingers of that message <laughs> i guess if i were to be extreme I would much rather uh, they'd have everybody in the Star Wars universe be be vegetarians or something, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, the corporate I, 
the, the, the corporate sponsors won't like that. Yeah, no, no, no. Purdue's not going to allow for there's chicken that's got to move. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Foster Farms can come calling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we know this is on Disney Plus, but look, those KFC commercials got to go somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's, I get it. You know, and I mean, and, and, and those big mutton chops you get at Disney World, those don't sell themselves. So, you know, you got to have these people eating meat. Anyway, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm getting off my horse. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think, I think that droid somehow got reprogrammed as, and is like a spy. I, I'm, I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Because there's a bunch of times where the droid kept saying, no, like it's Cassian, there's something I need to tell you. And they never let him say what it, or they never let the droid say what it is. Uh, and so that's another one of those mysteries coming up for season two, you know, mm-hmm. um, Next to like, who the hell is Luthien rail? That's kind of like my biggest mystery of the show. Like, okay, what, what is that? Like what, what's going on with this droid? Um, cool design though. I do like the like accordion expanding design, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. almost like an insect. It, that was, that was pretty wild. Anyway. It almost had a, um, and here again, referencing another Disney property, but it had a very much a, a, a Wall-E uh, yeah. design to it, you know? And not just in its 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 appearance, but in just the 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 character design. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, Disney has done that plenty of times too. Like um, the the Sovereign Protectors, and most people probably didn't even notice these things. The Sovereign Protectors in um, they're not my bodyguards, by the way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the Sovereign Protectors in Rise of Skywalker. They totally copied the 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 evil robots from the black hole. Oh they, yeah. They even have the fucking the double uh, uh the double barreled guns with one yeah. above the other, and even like the faces, the expanded faces of their helmets, and they're red even. Like yeah. they, they're yeah. they're totally the, the robots from, from the black hole. So Man, yes. deep deep cut. Nobody talks about the black hole. No, no, because I'm the only one that was dumb enough to spend $70 on the Blu-ray for it. So <laughs> <laughs> True story, folks. Try go look up even the worst Disney film on Blu-ray, like I don't know, The Pacifier or something with Vin Diesel. That's actually a pretty good movie. But look it up. You're gonna spend 50 bucks easy when you could, I mean, amazing films, you could spend four dollars on it for the Blu-ray. It's just Disney's so fucking stupid at times. Uh, maybe all the time, but not so much with Andor. Andor was great shit, and we needed to get that point out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is you know, if anybody were to go and watch start like if you I don't think it's a starting place for Star Wars. Not that I believe there's anyone left that's new to Star Wars, really. Um, but I do think you know that what? This... I, I'm Go going ahead. to disagree with you. I am going to disagree with you. I think if okay. you've got uh, a, like you said, if, if you're, you're there, are, funny enough, there are people out there who have not watched Star Wars. They're, they know of it. I don't think you can escape knowledge that it exists. Right. Right. But if you were trying to get a non-Star Wars fan to enjoy this, you know, the, the franchise that you enjoy, this might, you know, depending on that person's politics, be a really good introduction. Yeah, it could be, you know, because I'm thinking about it, like the great pleasure I take in it is getting to see so many things expanded that I've known about for so long. Um you know, like Mon Mothma, the ISB, even, you know, a lot of these other things. Um, and even, you know, getting into the start of the rebellion, you know, even, even earlier than rebels, uh, or it feels like that anyway. Um, 
but I think the show can work totally on its own. Amazingly. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm, 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 well, I'm, I'm baffled by that. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about your audience in particular, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we tend to be fairly anti-authoritarian and, oh, and very. I'd, like, oh, yes. I'd like to think that, you know, the people who, who listen to the show travel in similar circles and have friends yes. like that. And if, you know, you've got friends that are just, you know, oh, that Star Wars is kid shit, you know, like sit them down, have them watch this. Yeah. Watch yeah. Them. No, you're totally right. And I'll even go so far. And this might be about one of the greatest things that I could say about anything. This is the most anti-authoritarian show I've seen since Babylon five. And uh, that's, that's bold. Uh, so, uh, so there, there you go, folks, like you're, you're in, you're in for a good time. Um, all right. Well, I, th- I think that about covers our review. Anything you want to add in about, uh, about Andor, Rob? Um, yeah. TIE fighters. God damn, oh, it was yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Oh, fuck. A. Yeah. When, I mean, we were sitting there on your couch, me, you, and Ellen. And when they're when when the Thai pilots are hopping into the Tie Fighters, we're just like, "Whoa, yeah, yeah!" <laughs> it was so cool. That was some hot shit. Yeah, that was great. And even the the the, the cinematography they were doing from the cockpits was yeah, was awesome. Just, just the whole sequence. Oh, God yeah. damn. Yeah. Uh, yep. You're man. right. That was a winner. That was a winner. You're totally right. I I felt I felt like I was, you know. There was a, a 12, 13 again, hopping into, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, right. Hop, yeah. Putting in the CD ROM and hopping into a TIE fighter. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah. Well done. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> How can we not? Uh, no, I know. This, this is, is who we are. This is the name of the this show. Is the, this is the way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Well, you know, speaking of video games, <laughs> of course, our, our reference to TIE Fighter. Rob, man, I think I caught a glimpse of you playing none other than, uh, and and we've got a couple things here we want to talk about quick just to, to wrap up the show. I think I caught you playing Metroid Prime Remastered. Is this oh, true? Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yes. <laughs> ah, ah. Talk so about greatness. Good. I mean, yeah. this is this is this is how you do a remaster. Oh yeah, my yeah. freaking god! Oh, did they nail it? This isn't the special edition of the original trilogy, folks. No, no, no this is done right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is this is uh, a Nintendo thrown down the gauntlet to you know the, every every remaster from the last ten years. You know. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that good. Like everything, just the graphics look better. Everything's better. They redid everything. They yeah. This this wasn't just like we slapped new textures on the old models. No, No, they remapped everything. They re they redid every asset in the game, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they still managed to. And it didn't it didn't change or degrade the the atmosphere or the the you know like the because I mean. I've seen uh, um, remasters of other game, older games, uh, where it, they just they they completely change the the aesthetics yes. of the game of the original game, and sure you know like in terms of resolution and textures you know scaling and all this kind of stuff it looks better but they just they just ruined the the you know the the visual aesthetic mm-hmm. and atmosphere of the game mm-hmm. this one they no it 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 is like 
you you really like when you're playing it, you recognize that the graphics are way so much better. But at the same time, like you're playing and you're going like you you don't even realize that you're playing a remaster. Yeah. Now, well, let me ask you this: How do you feel about the controls? Were the controls good? Oh yes. Yeah, that oh worked. Oh my okay. god. Yeah, yeah. So I've so I've been through playthroughs of this game with every form of controller implementation that they that nintendo has had so i played right. with the original gamecube controller right i've played with the the wiimote yeah and now i've played with switch and this without a doubt the best implementation that's amazing so i haven't done this yet but like it's hard for me to i'm going to trust you but I, it's so hard for me to believe it's better than than the wiimote just because the wiimote was effectively a mouse right like it's effectively a mouse cursor and, you know, that's still kind of the best way to play an FPS. So I'm excited to give this a shot because, I mean, I believe you. I just, I got to feel it that. It just, it was, it was, I, I, when I'm playing it, I feel like, okay, this was always meant to be a twin stick shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, and, and I would go far as say, you know, it, I'm not the biggest fan of first person shooters on consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I honestly think like the first Halo game is dog shit. Wow. We're going to disagree there, but that's okay. Keep yeah, going. <laughs> well, you know, um, anyway, anyway. Granted, well, granted the way I played this, Halo originally was, was on PC with mouse and keyboard. So that probably made it a better experience, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I, I played it both. I've played it on sure. um, PC and I've also played it on, um, on Xbox, the original Xbox. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, still think the game is dog shit. In <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, go, go. <laughs> um, but you know, having, having like people, people reference Halo as like the first person shooter of, you know, consoles and right. um, they just, you know, the, they love the, the feel of it. Um, metroid prime remastered basically takes those same controls and i don't know what it is but the the implementation is that much better that's amazing i don't know if it's just the lock-on controls that just make everything so smooth and fluid but it really works yeah you know i think the reason that they finally did this because we've known or it's been said that this was done like that these games, like that the Metroid Prime trilogy was ready to be re-released on Switch anytime the Nintendo wanted to do it. Obviously, yeah, a ton scuttle, of work went into yeah, it. Yeah, the scuttlebutt is, is that it's been ready for quite a while now. And this this was a very much a a intention release. You know, they 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 did this for reasons and the way they did it too. Yeah. So I have a theory on two reasons. The first is I think, <laughs> and this is just me kind of thinking Miyamoto's a bigger badass than perhaps he is. But, you know, right now, one of the biggest thing in gaming is the argument between Sony and Microsoft over, you know, who gets to own Activision Blizzard, right? You know, over who gets mm-hmm. to, who gets to own Call of Duty, essentially. Um, and I kind of, even though, even though Microsoft already said, hey, we'll put Call of Duty on the Switch. I feel like Nintendo was just like, we don't care. Yep. We don't care about Call of Duty. It's like you, well, they you, do because they just signed a ten-year contract. Well, right, right. They're like, well, sure, fine. It'll it'll you know move units. It'll make money. So do it. But I I feel like Nintendo was just like, no matter what happens here, that's fine. Have your Call of Duty. We raise you Metroid Prime. 
you know, because they're yeah, just like, you yeah. don't need your first person shooter. We right. have the best or one of the best ever made. Right. Um, right. And it's I, yeah, only I definitely, on their console. I definitely think the, the Microsoft deal is a, a very much of a, a situation of game recognizing game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well said. So, well, <laughs> well, the second reason that I think that this happened and I, you might agree on this one, Rob is uh, we we've recently had some rumors and we, we don't pay much. I personally don't pay much attention to rumors like, oh, the Switch Pro is coming at this time or this, is you know, like I don't give a shit. OK, all I care about is whatever, whenever Nintendo does a sequel to the Switch, is it going to be backwards compatible with the Switch library? As long as it's that, I don't care when it comes out. I'm not even in a hurry to get it, um, but I will get it at some point, you know. Anyway, there was a po Pokemon Day was recently, and they did an announcement around varying DLC coming out for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Um, the interesting thing is, is that apparently a developer tweeted out. Um, now, I mean, this did happen. Whether the person is actually a developer, as they say they are, is up to debate. But days before the Pokemon Day release and announcement of the DLC, he called a lot of what ended up being released. And he was the only one that did that. Um, the funny thing is in that, in all that information that he got right at the bottom of it, he said another part of this DLC, which did not get announced was a graphical improvement pack for a new Nintendo switch, um, which might even be the name of it. When you consider the 3ds and the new Nintendo 3ds, right. That was like literally the name. I of the hope sequel. not. Yeah, I hope so too. Like, I, they I don't, hope they're done. They're done with the silly names. Yeah, no more use at the end. No more news at the beginning. Okay, so, but this is the you know this guy got so much right. Now he could have just tossed in you know for for funsies. Okay, uh, you know the 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 idea that there would be a new switch getting released this fall with that DLC. But honestly, that makes a ton of sense. Um in that Nintendo is just like squeezing kind of their last breaths out of the, um, that's not a breath of the wild pun, but you know, kind of these last breaths out of the, out of the, you know, original switch and that they are going to come out with a new one. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on this, Rob? Yeah, no, I, I, I think there's, you know, there's some, there's some fire where there's smoke here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where there's um, smoke, there's salmon. And and I, I think I that salmon's not, <laughs> I would not be surprised if Metroid prime four was a launch title for this yeah. console or at the very least they do the same thing that they did with the breath of the wild where they released both breath of the wild on the new and old console at the same time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah I, I i have a feeling that um that perhaps the definitely the next zelda game is is gonna have to be compatible with the next system tears of the kingdom you mean yeah 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 even though it's coming out you know just in a, in a couple months here um have yeah to imagine that they're, they're 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 gonna port that game like right away so you're gonna have a zelda title launch right uh like i said you're probably gonna have a metroid title at launch mm -hmm. i don't know if they're ready with the next mario game yet but i mean doesn't sound like it the thing is is we haven't like like we got Odyssey, yeah. But there has been no new Mario game because everything else has been a port from yeah. the Wii U. Yeah, I mean the only thing I could imagine is that because it was odd that it was never included was Super Mario Galaxy Two, and right. 
if they did a, if they gave Super Mario Galaxy 2 the Metroid Prime remastered treatment, um, I mean, that's considered the, actually most people, you know, might not realize this, but Galaxy 2 is considered the greatest Mario game ever made by a lot of people, even more so than Mario 64. Um, that would be a winner, like to have a remastered title like that, mm-hmm. like, and, and mm-hmm. add in enough and do give it the Metroid Prime treatment. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that'd be a, a completely valid uh, launch title for Mario. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I want to like, but remember, my, my, my point, my point being yeah. is that if you're not going to have a Mario title launch, mm. you've got to have at least two, preferably three really big franchises at launch. Yeah. Carry that. Yep. I agree. And because Zelda and Metroid. Cause yeah. you're expected to have Mario at launch. That's without a doubt their biggest selling franchise ever. I mean, yep. Nintendo is is the mouse or the house that Mario built. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To, to not have that at launch, like I said, I I I I think that's what's going on here, and uh, certainly if the rumors are true that we're getting the console as early as late this year, mm-hmm. um, it definitely makes sense for them to put out Metroid Prime in the same year. Yeah, Prime Four. Oh, yeah, the remaster, kind of yeah. To, to, yeah. To basically, to pun intended, you know, prime us for yeah. <laughs> the next, <laughs> the next well game. Said. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, and we're going to wrap up on this in a minute. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that all of that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that makes sense is, you know, like PlayStation and Xbox, they recently upgraded their generations over the past couple of years, you know, to from PS4 to PS5. Um, and the popular thing for them to do now, not that they double dip, they don't sell you a version for PS4 and a version for PS5. They sell you a version of PS4 that you can get the upgraded graphics for when you buy the PS5. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Nintendo traditionally, like you mentioned, you know, like Breath of the Wild came out for the Wii U and for the Switch and you could buy them concurrently, but you had to buy both of them, you know, yeah. but yeah. but because of what, uh, you know, PlayStation and Xbox are doing now, I don't think they can get away with that. So the idea that there would be a graphical upgrade pack, I think that makes sense. Yeah. That well, th- this, this is the interesting thing too, is this like, and, and I was very skeptical of the console when it came out, but the mm. Wii U was definitely way ahead of its time. Yes, sure. Uh, and, 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 but now what the industry is doing, like Wii U did first, what has become industry standard now. Yeah. Is to basically have, you know, the, the, next console be you know part of a a a continuous lineage like you know you don't the 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 console generations are becoming less defined yeah yeah no great point and and also too really nintendo was doing this before what i was describing playstation xbox because there were games for the wii u that when you bought it for the wii u it also gave you a copy for the 3ds right um like i think the pushmo games and some other ones so they're already doing this Right. Uh, and maybe this justifies the, the price bump for Tears of the Kingdom because like it's 10 extra dollars because you're going to get a free version of the game yeah. for the next I, I will be go far as say too. I think this is the reason we haven't seen Twilight Princess and uh, oh. Wind Waker HD move over to the Switch yet. Because they're going to the new Switch. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I'm game for that. I like that. Again, all I care about ultimately, and you can tell me how you feel about this, Rob. All I care about ultimately is that 
the massive switch library that I have yet to get to <laughs> needs to work on the new system. That's all I care uh, about. It's Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't hold your breath, Brian. It's Nintendo. <laughs> well, with handhelds, they did, they used to do a good job. Like DS could play Game Boy yeah, Advance games but, uh, and 3DS could play DS games. Beta but... Sun's not any around anymore. Well, all right. Now you bring a great point. God damn it. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, let, let's shift gears from that. Let's wrap the show up. But before we do, uh, we got to make a, a we got a, We got a special uh, kind of call to action here at the end that I want to get into, because someone that I am so glad is still around um, is uh, someone who has been the biggest guest besides Rob and I, the, the, the person who's been guest most on TIE Fighter Renegades is none other than the proud barks of rob's dog dexter uh he's there in fact i think we've mentioned dexter in almost every episode of the show uh because he, he started hearing him barking or something and it was so, she's wonderful big of a part of my life yeah, yeah absolutely just such a sweetheart he is such a sweetheart and i've gotten to spend so much time with him you know like i can't even like you know that anyway that's how i feel about animals they're people so <laughs> and he he is certainly one um you know, so he's going through a hard time right now. Um, and Rob, do you want to, you want to talk a little bit about that quick? Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously an older dog and he's, yeah. I've had him for, he's going to be 16 next month. And That's I've had amazing. him since he was six months old. And so this is what is, you know, not an uncommon problem for dogs of that age is, you know, their, their, their teeth, you know, start to wear out just like us, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, even the Mona Lisa's falling apart. Yep. Nice <laughs> but, fight club uh, reference. Yep. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. He's, he's got uh, a, a dental abscess that's uh, in one of his molars mm -hmm. and he's got a couple other teeth that are actually are, are infected too. And uh you know, unfortunately, because of my my situation in life, you know, I I have been wanting to, to take him to the vet to to get this taken care of for for several months now. But you know, I've I've dealt with some periods of unemployment and where yeah. I didn't have you know uh, uh, insurance to cover it. Well, now it's it's gotten to the point where, uh, uh, and I feel terrible about this, but that you know he 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 needs it taken care of right now. Yeah. As soon as possible. Um, is, you know, the last week, uh, you know, I woke up in the morning and I could just see it, you know, his, his left side of his face was all swollen up. Right. And, and he was just in such an awfully pitiful state. And, and it, it just, it hurts me so much to see him like that. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've been a bit depressed of late and, and, you know, had, trouble concentrating on the things I need to concentrate on and just kind of really just focused on him almost to, you know, an exclusion. Sure. Sure. And so, um, unfortunately, um, you know, well, the, the, the good there's, I have good news and I have bad news. Uh, the, I have two, two pieces of good news, actually. The good news is that, um, through my new job, I actually do have insurance for him mm -hmm. that, covers 70% of the cost of his care. Uh, the, the, the bad news is, is that, you know, the, unfortunately the insurance requires that I pay every, everything up front. So I have to pay, you know, hundred percent of the cost and then I get reimbursed a month later. 
Right. And I just, unfortunately, I just don't have thousands of dollars sitting in my bank account. You know, I yeah. like, like everybody else, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Yep. Um, so I, I started, you know, a, a, uh, um, a fundraiser for him called, you know, co-fund co my pet. And what it's very similar to like a GoFundMe, but it's specifically for, you know, veterinary care. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the way they go about just, you know, like the, the, the money they give you, they give you, you know, a, a debit card, essentially, that only works with veterinary care facilities, you can't use it at, you know, Walmart or you right. know, any retailer or anything like that. It's, it's, it's only good for, for vet care. And I wanted to have that, you know, for the, you know, the sake of transparency, um, and, and I've also said, you know, if, if anybody wants to contribute and then, you know, needs the, you know, the money back once I get reimbursed, I'm happy to do that too. You know, I just, I just want him to, to, to get and take care of, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah. He, he, he's such a genuine bundle of joy and such a survivor. He's already been through so much. Yeah. He just keeps going. He's, 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 he's literally a cancer survivor. So a couple right. of years ago he had, he had cancer and he beat it. So yeah. he's, he's a tough little nugget. I mean, he, yeah, he will get through this. I know he will. Yeah. Um, uh, even, even at the age of his, I mean, some people would say, you know, it's probably getting, you know, close to time that we're, you know, uh, you should start thinking about, you know, end of life character. No, he, he uh, if, I'm telling you, if you saw this dog, you would, he would just in his, his action and behavior, you would see a dog that's not ready to go yet. No, he jumps around like a bunny rabbit. I've walked yeah. him so many times. I've, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So link will be in the show notes for this. If anyone wants to donate. Um, and also if you want to do it via crypto, we can make that happen. You can email me Q22 at nwo.red. Um, and you know, we'll, 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 we'll make this happen. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't even want to watch star Wars without Dexter around. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it is. <laughs> But, yeah, um, and he yeah. he loves his people. I mean, he, yeah, he gets he gets so excited when Brian and Ellen come over. Yeah, it's just it's such a joy to watch. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. So yeah, uh, I mean, Rob, anything else you want to get out there about that? Um, like I said, just you know, uh, there, there's links in the show notes. If if all you can do is share the link, that would be appreciated too. You don't have yeah. to donate anything, and no no amounts too small. And yep. I mean that literally, um, I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, snub you for, for donating $2, like, you know, some former celebritarian stars would have done in the past. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. Well, well said. No, that, that, that's, that's worth it. Yep. Um, and, and, and here again, if like, if, if, if it comes, it comes back around and, and where, you know, uh, there, there's a situation where you need me to return the money, be more than happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. And a lot of that information is in the link that's in the show notes. All that can, can get you connected. And of course, if you if anyone wants to reach out to me about it as well, feel free. So um, yeah, yeah, because uh, we need those. We need, <laughs> I need to hear Dexter barking in the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he and I have just been through so much together. Like, yeah, um, he, he was basically the thing that got me out of bed every morning after my mom passed away. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have just, just, yeah, like we, we've, we've really just, I need to be here for him the way he's been here for me for the last, you know, 16 years. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, true member of the sovereign family here. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, do check that out in the show notes. Um, and, uh, I, I know a lot of you will be pulling for him. And even if you just want to send a message of well-wish, you know, I'm sure, you know, feel free to do so. Um, man, well, yeah, lots of, lots of good news and lots of, and <laughs> I, I don't even know how to follow that up. I just love Dexter so much. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Rob, uh, feeling good going into, in, into everything else that, uh, that, that, that's coming up that I'm sure we'll be talking about on TIE Fighter Renegades and, and Dexter will be chiming in on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to keep your spirits up living in this dystopia that we're in, but you know, like yep. this, the, the moments like these are, are what makes it all worth it. I agree. I agree. I agree. There's always a, there's something out there that can be a good time. So with all that said, go check out Andor. Please uh, check out the links in the show notes if you can. And uh, well, Rob, we'll, uh, we'll be doing this a lot more often now because we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. Uh, a lot coming out <laughs> and uh, excited to, of course, watch it all with you. And uh, we will see all of you woo, on the other side.